This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. The headline says it all. The secret IRS files, troves of never-before-seen records reveal how the wealthiest avoid income tax. Senior reporter and editor for the publication that broke the story, Jesse Isinger, says it speaks volumes about America's tax code, how the wealthiest Americans are able to skirt the system, and it's all legal. So essentially these great stores, these unbelievable stores of fortune and uh, wealth that uh, we haven't really seen since the Gilded Age over 100 years ago, uh, well over 100 now, um, we haven't really seen these kind of fortunes since then, and they are really substantially untouched by our tax system. You can uh, you can give it away or build it up and um, keep it in ways that we'll just never see the tax made. More of our conversation in just a moment. ProPublica compared how much in taxes the 25 richest Americans paid each year to how much Forbes estimated their wealth grew in that same time period. This is a story generating a lot of attention, including this from CBS News. When most of us get paid, so does Uncle Sam. You're really taxed a lot. You're taxed more than you should be, probably. But nonprofit investigative journalism organization ProPublica obtained never-before-seen IRS information and found the 25 richest Americans sometimes paid little or no federal income taxes. That includes Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Michael Bloomberg, and Jeff Bezos, now the richest person in America. He paid no federal income tax in 2007 and 2011. That courtesy of CBS News. So what does this mean when working-class Americans pay more in taxes than the multi-billionaires? What does it say about our current tax code? And will this story result in any congressional action? Questions for reporter Jesse Isinger. He spoke with us from his home in Brooklyn. I began by asking him how billionaires like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Michael Bloomberg could get away with this. Yeah, well, that was one of the remarkable findings, and obviously the way we started our piece. Uh, well, you know, there are a variety of ways that uh, the ultra-wealthy can actually get their tax bills down to zero. We're talking about federal income tax here. Um, in a couple of the years that Jeff Bezos paid zero in 2007 and 2011, he had offsetting deductions um, uh, when – Michael Bloomberg did it in 2010. He had charitable deductions. Um, when Carl Icahn did it uh, more recently in 2016 and 2017, he could deduct the interest costs that he has on loans that he uses for his business. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So there are a variety of ways that these guys can get down to zero. Um, what happens more broadly in the bigger piece is that they're really outside of the tax system, these ultra wealthy people, and uh, they can really lower their taxes uh, routinely, um, not always to zero, that's relatively uncommon, but have very low tax rates compared to their wealth uh, routinely. Early in your piece, which by the way is headlined The Secret IRS Files, you write the following. Taken together, it demolishes the cornerstone myth of the American tax system that everyone pays their fair share and the richest Americans pay the most. Can you elaborate? Yes, I think that uh, many of us harbor a sense that, uh, well, the rich are probably getting away with something, but they also, most people 
sort of understand that the wealthy are supposed to pay more in our tax system. The tax brackets go up um, as people make more money. So it doesn't mean that you make more money and you pay more dollars, but you also also pay or you're supposed to pay a higher percentage of those dollars. Um, and that's true for salaries. But for the ultra wealthy, it's not true at all. In fact, we have not a progressive tax system where the wealthy pay more as a percentage of their income, but a regressive federal tax system where the super wealthy pay actually less compared to their income. But what we really wanted to emphasize is that income is not the relevant measure. It's really not the significant thing um, for the ultra wealthy because they don't really take income or when they take it, it's a modest amount um, or they can, completely control when they take income. It's a very hard concept for average people to understand. But the basics here are that average people are in the tax system. We get salaries um, and we get a paycheck and taxes get extracted from our paycheck. And the ultra wealthy are really outside the system. They're not dependent on salaries. Um, they take income when they want, the time and place of their choosing, um, and it really helps them control their tax bills. And sometimes, as I say, they get down to zero, but very often it, they get taxed at a very low rate compared to what's really important, which is their wealth growth. Which gets to the point that may surprise many people, whether you're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Michael Bloomberg, multi-billionaires, everything that they're doing is perfectly legal. Well, we don't know about everything that they're doing, but um, in what we wrote about was perfectly legal, um, routine and legal. Um, this is not exotic um, and doesn't take expensive uh, accountants and tax lawyers to do. This is kind of the playbook, and uh, everybody has uh, knows the playbook but may have differences um, to degree in it. But essentially what this is in the shorthand is buy, borrow, die. That's a coinage of a USC tax professor named Ed McCaffrey. And what it is is that you buy your asset or build your asset in the case of Tesla or Amazon, and you hold on to it um, and you watch it grow and you watch it, um, the stock go up, and then you borrow against it. And we don't have evidence that Jeff Bezos borrows a lot of money, but there are public filings that Elon Musk Tesla's founder borrows tens of billions of dollars, puts up uh, tens of millions of um, shares of Tesla in order to be able to borrow, uh, you know, sh shares as collateral. And then you borrow to fund your lifestyle, or sometimes you fund your business interests and your hobbies. Um, and then uh, you can die, um, and even these billionaires, they will die eventually. Um, and when you die, there are lots of ways that you can minimize or avoid estate tax. So essentially, these great stores, these unbelievable stores of fortune and uh, wealth that uh, we haven't really seen since the Gilded Age over 100 years ago, uh, well over 100 now, um, we haven't really seen these kind of fortunes since then, and they are really substantially untouched by our tax system. You can, uh, you can give it away or build it up and um, keep it in ways that we'll just never see the tax made. We're talking with Jesse Isinger, senior reporter and editor for ProPublica, and the full story and all of the numbers on your website. 
You've answered part of the question that you pose in your article: How does somebody enjoying this sort of wealth explosion end up paying no income tax? So let me take that a step further. What does this say about the state of the American tax code? Well, it's、uh, essentially built on a fundamental unfairness,、um, where we expect the wealthy to pay their fair share,、um, but they don't,、um, and they don't. Substantially, because we tax in this system income or something that we define as income, and we don't tax、uh, something that we do not define as income, which is wealth growth, the appreciation of assets. When the stock goes up, if you haven't sold anything, you don't get taxed on it. And yeah, that's sort of a basic intuition that、um, most average people、um, have. Oh well, if you haven't sold anything, then it、um, it's not worth anything yet. You haven't realized the gain, and it、uh, was upheld by the Supreme Court in a decision、uh, about a hundred years ago、um, that only income only comes from realizations. But、uh, what our point is is that this is not written in stone and sent down from the word from God、uh, from Mount Sinai. This is not something that、uh, the system must be or has always been. It's not a natural law.、Um, this is just the system we've chosen. To have,、um, and the system that we've chosen to have allows the Bezos and Musks and Larry Ellisons of the world, and、um, et cetera, et cetera, Bill Gateses of the world, and、um, all these people whose taxes we have, to avoid taxation by avoiding income,、uh, and so they have this enormous wealth growth, and then they borrow against it. Um, to fund their lifestyles or their business, and then、um, they can avoid it.、Uh, we avoid the state tax、um, at death, as I say. And so,、um, this is the kind of system that's worth examining and understanding in full, so that people can go in with their eyes open and say, "Okay, yeah, it's fine for Jeff Bezos to be worth, you know, something like 180 billion dollars and pay zero in taxes." What we're trying to do is say, "This is." The system we have, and this is the ability that they have to avoid taxes, and、uh, then the public can make a decision now、uh, about whether they like this system or not. Let's take a look at some of the numbers that you outline in your piece. First of all, the median American household income is about seventy thousand dollars a year, and on average, the tax rate, federal taxes, at about fourteen percent. If you're a couple earning more than six hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars, the tax rate is thirty-seven percent. So, based on the numbers that you saw for these multi-billionaires, if they paid some tax, what percentage was it? Well, so those are tax rates.、Um, well, the fourteen percent is an effective tax rate. It's what people end up paying after their deductions. The thirty-seven percent is the statutory rate, the legal rate, and that's what you would pay if you didn't take any deductions.、Um, that's the marginal rate. Every dollar after that amount, six hundred twenty-eight thousand、um, or so, is、uh, taxed at thirty-seven percent. What we found is that. The top 25 billionaires in America pay effective tax rates of roughly about 15 or 16 percent, so in line with what the average American pays. But again, that's not really the key measure. The key measure is how this measures up against their wealth growth. And so, what we found is that compared to their wealth growth. These guys are paying three dollars and forty cents in taxes, three point four percent versus fourteen percent. And some of the ultra wealthy 
billionaires like Jeff Bezos. Bezos is paying roughly a dollar for every hundred dollars that his wealth grows. And Warren Buffett, he's sort of the king of tax avoidance. He pays a dime, 10 cents for every hundred dollars his wealth grows compared to $14 for the average person for every hundred dollars that they bring in an income. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Jeff Bezos, his now ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, who has been donating billions of dollars to charities. We learned about that recently. But one of the examples that you have, you go back to 2007, in which his income that year was $46 million. How was he able to offset that income to a lower tax rate? Because that's still a nice income, even for somebody who's worth multiple billions of dollars today. Right. So, uh, you know, what happens with Bezos in that year is that he's got a kind of variety of deductions and some expenses that he's allowed to uh, write off on his taxes. And you kind of wipe out that income um, through those uh, those perfectly normal maneuvers and you can get all the way down to zero. It's kind of a remarkable thing. What the point is, is that his wealth at that year grew by $3.8 billion. Um, and so his income, you know, only $46 million, like that, that has nothing to do with his wealth growth, which is really the most important thing. That's what gives him the power. That's what continues to allow him to have control over um, the company and to buy baubles like uh, the Washington Post or uh, a yacht that's worth half a billion dollars. Actually, he's got a yacht that uh, takes the helicopter to his bigger yacht. Um, and um, and then he starts a space exploration company. Those are all, that's all emanates, of course, from his wealth. Um, but the wealth has nothing to do with income. The income is extraordinarily modest compared to the wealth, um, only $46 million. And then he's got uh, the ability to offset that. And in that particular year, he paid zero in federal income taxes. Let me go back to your reporting because you and your colleagues write the following quote, our analysis of the tax data for the 25 richest Americans quantifies just how unfair the system has become. Do you sense that your reporting will result in any changes in the tax code, how Congress uh, doles out these federal tax laws? Well, boy, I, you know, that's a very th- difficult thing to predict. We're just journalists and uh, we're not policy advocates and we um, – don't uh, particularly uh, see one policy as uh, being superior to another or anything like that. What um, we're trying to do is highlight the system and, so that people really understand it. Because as I say, you know, people have this intuition that um, this has been true or that the wealthy dodge taxes, but I don't think they knew the extent of it. And I don't think anybody really understood that somebody like Michael Bloomberg, who's got a private company who, that's throwing off literally billions of dollars that are coming down to him. You know, it's not um, stock that's appreciating in a publicly traded company with, with unrealized gains. He's got enormous cash flow flowing to him, and he's able to offset that almost entirely so that he pays very, very low effective tax rates and then can actually pay zero um, in 2010. Um, And so what we want to do is uh, explain this to people. This has been true, uh, sort of been clear, I mean, to experts um, for a while, but, um, but I think it's been poorly understood by the broader public. And I think the the bottom line question is this, Jesse Isinger, what is income? What isn't income? 
Well, that's exactly right, is that uh, we want to kind of let people start to question that basic assumption of uh, the American tax system is um, is income just really salary or just stock when you sell it. Um, uh, most of these guys don't take salary. Jeff Bezos takes a middle class salary of something like eighty thousand dollars, and um, and then you've heard, of course, of these famous tech uh, CEOs who take one dollar in salary, like Mike, Mark Zuckerberg or Larry Page, and so salary is unimportant for them. Um, and then sometimes they sell stock, of course, but actually they find reasons not to sell stock and ways to not sell stock. So if they're monetizing their wealth so that they can um, fund their lifestyles, are they taking some form of income? You know, at this point, debt uh, that you get with um, putting up stock is not considered income in our um, tax system, but you know it could be, or uh, or we could define something differently. As I say, nothing has been uh, written in the Hammurabi Code for thousands of years about unrealized gains not being taxable. You look at the 25 richest Americans collectively. How much are they worth? Well, now I think they're worth uh, well over a trillion dollars. Um, uh, quite easily surpassing a trillion dollars, especially after the pandemic, because their um, wealth grew uh, substantially in the pandemic as, um, you know, as hundreds of thousands of people were dying and uh, people were losing their jobs. Uh, it was one of the best years ever for billionaires. And how did the story come about for you for ProPublica? What's the genesis of this reporting? Well, we obtained a vast trove of IRS data um, covering thousands of Americans, um, really just uh, kind of the 1% of the 1% of Americans and so not um, your average plumber or teacher's uh, tax returns, but uh, thousands of uh, the wealthiest Americans uh, covering more than 15 years. And we're not explaining uh, how we got this information. We uh, um, have a source of sources and um, we're not explaining what we know and don't know about the source of sources, but we don't know a lot. We know some, but we don't know a lot. How did you verify the information? What was the cross-checking, the fact-checking like? Yeah, well, that was extraordinarily important, of course, because when you get uh, a vast amount of information like this, the most important thing is to figure out whether it's valid, um, whether it's verifiable, um, whether there's something in it that uh, has been manipulated. Um, and so we were very, very cautious and very careful with the data and um, very paranoid. Uh, and we went to a lot of public filings. Um, you know, politicians have filed, uh, very wealthy politicians have filed their taxes over the years, and you can check there. And the court cases where tax information comes out, that's kind of obscure stuff, and we could verify information there. And then occasionally we went to private sources um, and asked them about information that only they could know, and um, that was valid. And pretty soon we had well over 50 validation points um, uh, for the, the data, and it really easily surmounted um, our standards for verification. And then finally, most importantly, for the first story um, and for all, each subsequent story that we're going to do, we're going to keep to the same journalistic standard. We ran everything by the 
people who are mentioned in the story um, and asked them to comment on the, uh, the facts as we had them, and they were all verified, and nobody disputed the facts in any significant way, um, in any really way at, at all, um, and that was its own verification. So there's no question that this is um, verified data now. And um, then the other question, of course, is what is newsworthy about it? We're culling it and being very careful and responsible stewards of this information and culling it for what we consider to be information in the public interest. And we publish this article and we'll publish subsequent articles throughout the year. And we should point out the original article at ProPublica.com is 35 pages in length, so some exhaustive reporting. You include this statement from Michael Bloomberg's office saying, quote, the release of a private citizen's tax returns should raise real privacy concerns regardless of political affiliation or views on tax policy. Your thoughts on that statement, which you included in your piece, the title, The Secret IRS Files. Yeah, I just said that uh, the piece may be long, but we hope it's readable. <laughs> you can get to the bottom of it, and, um, and all the words are wonderful uh, in it. Um, <laughs> we, of course, went to uh, all the people we mentioned, as I say, and asked them um, to respond um, and got responses from several of them, including uh, Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett and uh, and Michael Bloomberg, and then included their comments because, uh, you know, it's just basic journalistic practice. Um, and Bloomberg had a kind of veiled threat or, uh, con- you know, he said that he considered his privacy to be violated. And uh, I guess I would have to say it's true that we did violate his privacy um, uh, because we think that it's in the public interest that someone who was the mayor of New York City and ran for president and is one of the wealthiest people in the world has um, such a substantial um uh, income and so little in taxes that he, uh, you know, he brings in close to $2 billion in income every year and gets his taxes down to literally 3 or 4% on an effective tax rate and uh, a fraction of that, half that, um, for compared to his wealth growth. And we thought that that was in the public interest and that we have a First Amendment right to publish that information. I want to go back to one other point. I know you're not going to release how you got the documents, but give us a sense of how big of a project that this was for you and the entire newsroom staff. Yeah, well, it's millions of rows of uh, data, raw data. Um, And so we had to cull it. We had to clean it up. That wasn't my job. um, I can't do that. Uh, I don't have that skill set, but my colleagues, Paul Keel and Jeff Ernsthausen, um, who are really great reporters, um, did most of that work. Um, and we've now put it into a, uh, a database that um, is usable uh, and you can search it. So that was a substantial amount of work, just kind of understanding what we had and all the schedules we had and what we don't have and how many years it goes back and what's reliable and what isn't and, um, uh, you know, what you can understand uh, from the data, how clean it is, all these kinds of things. So that, that took a very long time. And what does this tell the average taxpayer, the middle class taxpayer who is paying legitimately what uh, the federal government says you owe and these multi-billionaires are getting away with paying nothing? Yeah, I think um, the basic point is that we have a system that is unfair at the root of it, um, that allows 
billionaires to be outside of the tax system. So the middle class taxpayer is inside the system and has no choice about paying a substantial portion of his or her salary to the federal government, um, has no choice about where those tax dollars go, and the super wealthy um, are completely outside of that system. So they um, have every ability to allocate their dollars to their pet causes, uh, both philanthropic and their hobbies like uh, space exploration, and that these um, things help to reduce their taxes and that taxes are really a kind of uh, um, afterthought for them. You put a lot of information in the article and in our conversation. But are we missing anything? Did anything surprise you as you began this project and as you look back at your reporting and research? Well, as I say, I think it's pretty surprising that some of these guys can get down to zero. Um, And I think we'll have uh, a lot of surprising stories to come about um, people taking losses, uh, you know, generating losses and um, avoiding taxes and um, the the myriad ways that uh, people can manipulate their taxes in legal ways to um, get away with not paying something, I think, is pretty surprising. I have not lost my ability to be shocked and surprised by this. And I, uh, you know, often the cliche is that the um, scandal is what's legal, not what's illegal. And um, here, I think that is really apt. And a lot of questions about former President Donald Trump's taxes. Would you like to take a look at those? Well, we're not commenting on that um, aspect of it, but uh, obviously the Times did a very, very good job of uh, going through the taxes. So uh, um, those uh, stories were, uh, you know, some of the best journalism in the last couple of years. And we're full of admiration for the Times on that. So I'm going to go back to your earlier point because you're a journalist and not a politician. But if you were to give members, for example, of the House Ways and Means Committee questions that they need to ask moving forward as a reporter, what questions should Congress look at? I think the fundamental question is, are uh, our tax laws designed for the new form of gilded age wealth that we have today? Um, that's the basic question. Is And people have started to raise that question and have policy responses to that, like um, a wealth tax from Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, or uh, Ron Wyden um, has a, is a senator from Oregon. He has a, uh, a tax to tax unrealized gains. You know, is, do we have a modern day tax system? Could we design one that avoided the previous pitfalls with wealth taxes um, that other com- countries have experienced? Would that be the right um, strategy? Are there other strategies? Those are the kinds of questions to ask. Or do we stick to our old-fashioned income um, tax and just raise tax rates? And who does that actually hit? Because when you raise tax rates, you're not hitting the ultra-wealthy. You're hitting um, the affluent. You're hitting the wealthy. You know, people who are making $1 million, $5 million a year, those, you know, that's a lot of income. Um, but they're not the super, super wealthy. They're not, not the Jeff Bezoses and Michael Bloombergs of the world. We're talking with Jesse Isinger. He is a senior reporter and editor for ProPublica. What I'm hearing you say is that there will be many stories coming out of this in the days and weeks ahead. 
We hope so. Yeah, we're uh, hard at work. We've got a bunch of reporters uh, on this, um, not just me, not just Paul and Jeff, but others. Uh, and they're um, working on stories uh, as we speak, and we're going to work on some more stories. So we hope that we'll be publishing things that people find illuminating uh, all throughout the year, maybe even longer. We will look for more of your reporting. We should also point out that you're the author of the book, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives, the recipient of the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting in 2011, formerly with the Wall Street Journal. What else can you tell us about your background, your career in journalism? <laughs> I've, uh, I don't know. I've been doing it a long time. Uh, and uh, it's gratifying to get such a big response, probably the biggest response I've ever had to a story. Um, but, you know, uh, that was last week. And this week, my editors uh, like me to know what I'm doing now. So i got to get back to it. So keep on working. Thank you. I will. The website, ProPublica.org. Jesse Isinger joining us from Brooklyn, New York. Thank you very much for being with us. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. Jesse Isinger, senior reporter and editor. His work available at ProPublica.org. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. A reminder, this podcast, The Weekly, be sure to listen and follow wherever you get your favorite podcast. And follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.